is the Breaking Bad Advice podcast, the show that is dedicated to helping you stay rational in these irrational times. Here's where I remind you that the following thoughts and conversations are for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Please reach out to your financial professional at Plan Financial to discuss your unique situation and circumstances. All right. Well, welcome everybody back to another episode of Breaking Bad Advice. On today's episode, we're going to revisit a few section in Plan Financial's latest quarterly newsletter that has written none other uh, than the head honcho himself, Jack Hooper. The title of the newsletter is The Importance of Weighing the Evidence. And in the reading, Jack focuses on key aspects such as starting prices of assets, the sequence of returns, and lastly, the implications that those two can have on a portfolio over the next five to 10 years. So let's go ahead and jump on into it. Isaac, welcome back to the show. It's always fun having these conversations with you. How are you doing today? Good. Doing well. Yeah. It's good to be back. Yeah. Great. Well, hey, um, I don't want to start this podcast off on a dull note, but I will start it off with uh, a caution that Jack issued to readers and investors in this newsletter. And that is that you must not be lulled into a false sense of security because a successful accumulation or saving for retirement does not automatically guarantee a successful distribution plan. And we'll kind of get into what what that actually means. So whether you're in the mode of growing and accumulating capital for retirement or on the other extreme, you're currently at the golf course enjoying retirement, the question that you should be asking yourself is, do today's starting prices matter to me? And so when manias occur, such as we're seeing today in the stock market, over, well, really over the last 10 years we've seen it, but it's been amplified today. Um, you know, one of the things that we need to begin to ask ourselves are, you know, do these prices that we're purchasing stocks at even matter? You know, are those aren't questions that are typically get, getting asked by investors today. They just know, I better get in before it gets even higher. And so fortunately for us investors, there are different valuation tools that we can use and look at to kind of see where prices are based on fundamentals. So using one of those tools, such as the claimed Buffett indicator, which is a ratio of the total stock market capitalization to GDP, we can see the extreme overvaluation to say the very least. And the reason this indicator is really important is because assets such as stocks should track closely to what the economy is actually doing. Yeah, that's right, Joel. Um, and I think just to kind of elaborate on that for a moment. So um, stocks should be uh, reflective of the profitability of companies, right? And those companies then are going to be reflective of what we would um, you know, assume would be the overall uh, general movements of the economy, right? So if the economy is growing, if it's increasing in production, raise uh, wages and revenues of companies are, are rising, um, the rate of growth is going to be reflected in the growth of stock prices over that time period. Because really, when you buy a share of a company, what you're doing is you're simply um, getting a claim on future cash flows. So if those future cash flows are expected to rise um, because current cash flows are rising, uh, then you would expect that the price that you're paying for those shares are going to go up over time. So uh, historically, what we've seen is that uh, GDP growth, which is just one metric of economic growth that probably isn't the best, but it's the one that most widely used, um, generally 
moves in tandem with um, with the prices of, of stocks. Right, right. And really to kind of give a great example of this, what we're mentioning is back in the late, you know, 99 into 2000, we, we saw the Buffett indicator reach an astonishing 150%. And of course, we saw that the NASDAQ during that point peaked at 5,100 uh, in March of 2000. And so there was a great tell there that something's likely to happen here. Well, two years later, the NASDAQ bottomed at 1100. So it took two years and to decline only 80%. Yeah, just a little bit. Small amount. Yeah. So this is really, you know, the, at that point, the st total stock market was one and a half times more than what the total U.S. gross domestic product was. And today that Buffett indicator sits at just a little bit more than it was back then, 193%. So this, this might be something, you know, there's some handwriting on the wall here. Right, right. And and uh, and it's not just the Buffett indicator, right? I mean, that's one that you used. Uh, Buffett referred to it as the single best indicator of whether the, the market is cheap or expensive at any given time. Um, but it's not just that one. There's the, uh, the cyclically adjusted uh, P.E. ratio uh, or called something called CAPE. There's the MAPE, the marginally adjusted P.E. ratio. There's Tobin's Q. There's a price to book value. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that traders and investors will value um, the, the prices of um, or the, the value of companies and then compare that to the price on the market and decide whether it's expensive or whether it's on sale. Right. Um, but all of these indicators have their limitations. So just just to be fair, first, they don't tell us the timing of the movements in the market, right? So Buffett said, hey, this is a good indicator at the moment of whether something is expensive or cheap, uh, whether the market's expensive or cheap. But he was not saying at the same time that this therefore tells you what's going to happen over the next six months or right. a year or five right. years, right? Um, so they, but they do give us a sense of the future direction. So if we know something's expensive, we may not know what it's going to do tomorrow or next week or next month, but we do have a sense of maybe over the next five to 10 years, whether those values are, are legitimate and whether yeah. future returns are going to be higher or lower based yeah. on so that. So right? basically with having these kind of metrics to look at, it allows us to overweight and underweight based on where we feel we are and where we're likely to be over a longer period of time. That's right. That's right. They're, they're just good indications for us as uh, entrepreneurs as stewards of our clients' money to be able to say, hey, is this asset uh, cheap today? If so, then future returns are likely to be better. If it's expensive, they're likely to be lower. Um, the other thing, the other aspect to these uh, these indicators, though, that's important to recognize is they're all based on historical figures, right? So uh, we can look at a multiple and say that historically investors have, have um, you know, viewed the, the multiple of an earnings uh, at around, say, 15 times, which is, um, you know, kind of a standard practice in the industry. People look at the P.E. ratio of a, of a large index and say that the uh, multiple of the earnings of these companies should be around 15 times. OK. Um, and so we can look at that and say, well, then maybe if it's at trading at 20 times, then it's expensive. Or if it's trading at 10 times, uh, it's cheap. And again, this is very similar to what we're talking about with the Buffett indicator. Right. Um, but we have to recognize that. Um, economics is really reflective of human action and behavior, right? So um, we, we can't take from this some sort of mechanistic or scientific uh, truth to say that if it's trading, if the index is trading at 20 times and historically it's traded around 15 times, it needs to drop by 30% to get back to fair value or 25%, right? right. We, can't, we can't do that. Um, but what we can do, uh, and I think this is where the importance of these types of indicators are helpful, is they do, as I mentioned, give us a guide as to where the markets are heading from here. They also give us a sense of how market participants right now are behaving. Um, and more importantly, whether the prices that they're paying are really tied to any sort of real economic value 
or if they're tied to, uh, you know, hopes and, and dreams or, <laughs> you know, euphoria. Right, right. right. So fundamentally, um, you know, we can, we can say that whenever somebody bar, uh, buys shares of a company, they, um, you know, they should be thinking about the price uh, that they're paying compared to the, fu- the future uh, expected cash flows. Right. right. Um, and uh, this is the ratio that most, uh, that, that um, this is the, ra- the ratio uh, between the two that most investors use to determine if their asking price is high or low. So it helps identify if a business um, is expensive or on sale. Um, and today all of these metrics are telling us that stocks are expensive. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, but so let's go ahead and get to now why these, these starting prices matter and how we're going to do that is through talking about the sequence of returns. And the reason sequence of returns are so important is because of having a very untimely retirement. And if you retire right at the top, chances are your returns over the next 10 to 15 years aren't likely to be good if you're allocated directly to only U.S. equities, right? Correct. Yeah, but it applies equally to any sort of asset class, right? right? I mean, today we, we tend to focus on U.S. equities. That's what everybody looks at on the 5 o'clock news or, you know, whatever it is they're, they're checking on their phones and that sort of thing. But yeah, so, um, so equities tend to kind of um, hoard the headlines, but really this applies to everything. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, when we're talking about sequence of returns, uh, this is why we're, we're, we're talking about whether the markets are expensive or, or whether they're cheap today. Uh, the sequence of returns refers to the importance of the timing of your portfolio returns, right? So most people will focus on annualized returns over a 10, 20-year period. Uh, and a lot of times you'll hear investors or people who are selling stocks say, look, if you just invest in the S&P 500 over the last 100 years, you'd get an 8, 9, 10% return per year. Uh, and that's true in a sense if you annualize all the returns over that time period. The problem is um, it's not the whole picture, right? So um, it the, the important thing, especially when you're an individual uh, investing with a specific objective, is that the key component to accomplishing your, your investment objectives uh, is the timing of those returns and not just the annualized return over a long period of time. Right, right. And a, a great example that uh, Jack gives all the time is having your feet in a tub of ice and your head in an oven, okay? Your average temperature is going to be just fine. You're just not likely to survive. That's right. And so, you know, that really, so if you're currently retired, you're, you're in a distribution phase, meaning you're, you're spending down that capital. And if you have one bad year at the very beginning, you run through a lot more principal, you're going to run out of money a lot sooner than planned. That's right, Joel. And um, I think what we wanted to do in order to kind of illustrate this was go back to the newsletter um, that Jack wrote recently. Uh, and under the exhibit one, it says the dangers of an untimely retirement. And so what it does is it gives us two scenarios, right? The first scenario is for some uh, two individuals in the accumulation fees phase. So somebody in their 20s, 30s, 40s, they have 20 years or more. And what this does is it actually tracks real stock market returns over that period of time. Uh, from 1972 to 1992, somebody who invested a million dollars, um, whether they whether they started investing in 1972 or they started with a million dollars in 1973, the returns actually end up being very similar at the end of that 20 years, right? So for the accumulation phase, even though in 1972 you had a significant market sell-off, um, the end result for both individuals actually ends up being fairly similar. And would it be fair to say during that period, you get a lot of those results too, because you have continuous contributions? 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when you're buying on a regular basis, you are going to uh, be able to buy at lower prices. You're going to, um, you know, at, when the market goes down, you're going to be buying more shares at lower prices. If you have the guts, uh, of course. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is easier said than done. But uh, but yeah, that so that does tend to average it out over time. But the important thing to point out here uh, and the contrast we wanted to make is between that accumulation um, strategy where you can afford to buy into a market that's maybe dropped 20, 30, 40% like it did in 1972 um, and still end up with a good return over the next 20 years. Uh, when you contrast that with somebody who is in the decumulation phase or somebody who is approaching retirement, this other graph shows the difference between the same individual who retired in uh, 1972, contrasting that with somebody who retired in 1973 at the end of that, that drop, right? So now you have somebody retiring after the market has dropped um, you know, 20, 30, 40%. Um, and the difference between those two people is that the one who retired in 1972 runs out of money by 1991. So within 20 year period, their, their entire pot of gold is gone. Right. right. Whereas the individual who retired in 1973 and still, uh, um, still experienced some drop in the markets because the markets were still going down even in 1973, but not nearly as much, that person actually close to doubled their money over the next 20 years. And so what we're trying to illustrate with these graphs is that it's not just the total return that you're getting. Um, it's the sequence of those returns coupled with your objectives that can really make it or break it. Right. And, and you need to have that principle while you're in retirement. And if you reach a point where you're having to actually sell off shares, in order to meet those obligations, that's where you actually end up realizing those losses versus if you have, you know, shares of companies that are producing dividends, interest, and things like that, you're not as likely to have to go into that actual principle. That's right. Dipping into principle can drastically impact the, um, the length, uh, the longevity of your portfolio over time. So it's important to avoid that if you can. And uh, to your point, to generate the income that you need for your lifestyle. Right. Right. So, right. so <clears throat> let's go ahead and move on to the implications of, as we see moving forward and and really as we look out over the next three to five years. Um, and, and the reason we want to do this over a three to five year period is because, you know, anything can ca come out of left field um, at any time. Um, and so that's why, as we've mentioned in the, in the very first section of starting prices, we are not timing things and these are not timing mechanisms, but we are going to look at fundamentals and valuations and, and see, you know, are things fair valued, undervalued? So as we move forward, we, I would think it's fair to say we see a, you know, sizable potential for a recession um, in the near near term, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I think uh, those those odds are growing. Obviously, you know, um, there's a lot of instability in the world today. Uh, we're in the midst of a news cycle right now that's carrying on about, um, you know, the the, the war, the the combat we're seeing and. Uh, Eastern Europe and and uh, Russia, um, and so that has uh, implications for the markets that maybe we'll touch on on our next podcast. But um, but by and large, yeah, we would say that prices, generally speaking, based on you know again these these fundamental value valuations, um, would suggest that stocks are are priced uh, expensively today. Um, and when that happens, then your future expected returns are likely to be likely to be lower. Um, and and I would I would add to that, you know, recently we've had the stock market drop 
um, somewhere between 10 to 15 percent, depending on which index you're following. But U.S. stocks are down that much. Um, international markets are down similar amounts, if not more. Um, and that may, for some people, indicate that, hey, this is a buying opportunity, right? right. Buy, buy the dip, uh, as some people like to say. But the, the problem with that is we would remind everybody um, the stock market, even though it's dropped, uh, the S&P was down, you know, over 10 percent um, as of yesterday. Uh it's, it's still only back to the level it was in the middle of last year, right? So, so we've had a significant drawdown, but in the broad scheme of things, um, and again, when we compare them to uh, some of these historical uh, valuation metrics, um, yeah. all of which are saying that prices are still really expensive, that tells us that future returns are likely to be lower. Right, right. And I mean, we won't get into it, but we've talked about it in the past of a lot of the headwinds, uh, demographics, debt. Um, disruptive technology. There's a lot of that stuff that is still at play uh, that hasn't taken place. Um, and when that stuff does take place, that's when you then see the you know prolonged 30, 40, 50% sell-offs. That's when you know, you're able to get in and actually get some good buys. That's right. That's right. Yep. It's important to... So, I mean, I think in summary, we're just, you know, we would like to remind people, uh, it's important to remember that it's not just uh, it, it's not just an average return that you're looking for. It's uh, also important to keep in mind where prices are today and what your objectives are, right? So right. that's going to determine whether you're successful is keeping those two things in mind um, when trying to um, trying to invest in for the future. And right. so that's what we're trying to do for our clients. Um, and we're going to keep in mind both of those factors. So. Absolutely. Well, hey, Isaac, I appreciate your time. Uh, these conversations are always fun and informative, hopefully, uh, and I look forward to our next conversation. Likewise. And that does it for another episode of Breaking Bad Advice. As always, you can find this episode along with the latest newsletters and blogs on planfinancial.com. Until next time, stay safe, stay rational.